so I told you last week that we weren't doing a show this week. We were taking a break. However, I am re-airing an episode from 2019 with author and illustrator Mari Andrew. And also, hi, this is Let It Out. I'm the host, Katie. Mari and I used to live in the same neighborhood in New York. We met in a yoga class, which you'll hear all about in my very emotional 2019 original intro to this episode, which I'm keeping in. And I'm going to tell you why. So you'll hear that in a second. It's very dramatic. I had just come back from this sad Francis Ha-esque trip to Paris. And I have to tell you, listening back to not only the introduction, but the entirety of this episode felt incredibly uncomfortable. I don't often go back and listen to my old episodes and I hadn't done it in a while. And I realized, you know, part of it in this particular interview was the fact that I was jumping around so much in my interviewing, which was really not my best. And I was able to understand why and remember why, which I maybe wasn't even conscious of then. It was maybe subconscious, but looking back, two and a half years older and a pandemic later, hopefully a little bit wiser, I could clearly see that I was, you know, very enthusiastic and excited for this and hoping that Mari and I would become best friends immediately following the episode. And we were on a time crunch and I wasn't expecting that. She had somewhere to be, which is always challenging for me and something I'm working on as an interviewer to be able to get it in in an hour. It's something that back then I was really letting things linger and letting the conversations just flow. And then, you know, somewhere it would be good. (laughs) And I still have the tendency to do that now, but I'm really trying to go in with five to seven top questions not be attached to getting everything on my list answered and being present with whatever comes up. And then if I don't cover everything I really hope to ask, hope that they'll come back and not be so tied to it being linear. But this is a recent realization and something I'm still learning. And actually, this actually happened recently in the last few episodes where I had less time than I expected. And therefore, it changes my ability to have the conversation because I'm very aware of that. And in this, listening back, I could feel my rushed energy. It's wild. So I hope you buckle up. (laughs) All of me feeling uncomfortable had to do with me judging myself. Everything Mari shared was incredible and still really useful and interesting and insightful. But it was interesting to hear myself back then and how different I feel. And I'm really proud of the fact that I've continued to do this podcast and record interviews and meet people and air these conversations. But I did cringe listening back to this one and I was surprised at that because it really wasn't that long ago. It was two and a half years ago. And it really made me feel like I wanted to scrub the internet of any sort of existence before really recently delete the archive, take them all down. I'm worried how I would feel if I went even further back and heard things that I said and 
I'm sure I wouldn't agree with some of them now because that was so long ago. And I simply probably would have just said things differently or I would know that I said things because I was nervous or I was scared or I wanted the guest to like me or a listener to like me. And I didn't edit it out because I was rushing or working full time or who knows. So it's interesting to go back and examine who we were in the past or somewhat recently. And in this episode that you're about to hear, what was most uncomfortable for me about it was that I could hear moments where I wasn't being myself. I knew I was trying to sound like something I heard somewhere. And I don't think I was even aware of that back then. I think it was subconscious. And it's something that since then, I've been very consciously trying to avoid, trying to avoid picking up mannerisms from other people, trying to figure out exactly what is me and genuine and earnest and stay in that exclusively. And I think this one in particular was pretty excruciating to listen to because my energy is just really chaotic and I have a lot of compassion for that person. You'll hear I'm crying in the intro and then I'm super confident and direct and doing the job of podcasting. And I vacillate between being so earnest and so real in myself and then kind of getting into podcasting mode. But while cringing, I also felt really empathetic for my 2019 past self who was trying to keep it together was really sad, had no idea the wild ride that was ahead. I mean, I think anytime we go back to versions of ourselves previously, it's complex. You know, I think Taylor Swift is talking about that a lot right now, re-recording her Red album. And there's this character in a movie that Josh Radner made who says this line, every five years, like clockwork, I realize how much of an asshole I was five years before. And I think about that line all the time. And I feel that more than ever about who I was, things I did for validation or approval, even a year ago or six months ago or last week. My book is an example of this. I wanted to change the cover even before it came out. And that was in 2014. And yes, I'm wearing a flower crown on the cover, which felt very of the time. And I can't change that. You know, that's there. And that was so who I was then. And these old episodes are an example of that. But I want this illusion of who I am today being who I've always been, except, you know, a little bit younger. (laughs) Because who I am then embarrasses the me of today. And that will never stop. You know, I think I will be cringing and want to archive this episode we're doing currently in five years, probably less. But there's also part of me that thinks, you know, why am I ashamed of my past self? Why am I ashamed that it's different from who I am now? Growth is good. And wouldn't it be bad if I listened back and loved every second of it? Because I guess that would mean I hadn't evolved. And I realize the part that bugs me is that I don't want to change in public. I just want to be changed. I want to appear. I've always been who I am, but I haven't. The jig is up. (laughs) I'm about to play you audio proof. 
And as I was gathering my thoughts and and writing this intro, I checked back in with Mari, the guest you're about to hear. And funnily enough, the post on her Instagram most recently is an excerpt from her out of the blue newsletter, which is really cool because she talked about wanting to have a newsletter at the end of this interview. And now she has one. It's called out of the blue. So here's what Mari had to say last week on the topic in her most recent newsletter, which is entitled Evolution of My Art, A Journey Through Instagram, A Reflection on Six Years of Posting. This is what Mari had to say. The reason why I keep myself from cringing when I look back at my old style is that my younger self would have been so hurt if she knew I was talking about her like that. Now I'm someone who she would look up to, And I never want to embarrass or shame her because I'm in such a different mental and creative place now. I love that. And I think she's right. And I will now try to extend that same compassion (laughs) towards my 2019 self and all of my old work that Mari is doing. Okay, at the end of this interview, you will hear me play a clip from Mari from 2020 last year where she gives us an update from early in the pandemic. If you remember our 300th episode, I asked all of our previous guests to record a little update of where they are now. It was April, early April of 2020. So if you remember that time, it was early in quarantine. So we'll play that at the end and you'll get to hear a little bit of an update from Mari. I meant to keep this intro tight because you're about to hear the 2019 me also intro this episode again. And I mentioned in that a workshop that helps other people start podcasts and it still exists. So if you would like to sign up for that, the code Mari will give you a discount. And without further ado, here is me talking about speaking to Mari Andrew and then speaking to Mari Andrew from my East Village apartment in early 2019. Welcome back. You're listening to Let It Out with me, your host, Katie Delbout. If you're new, special welcome to you. I hope you stick around. I've been doing this forever, so I have a very robust archive. If you have been listening forever, an even specialer welcome to you, or equally special to all of you, honestly. I'm really grateful when anyone listens to this podcast because it's such, especially lately, especially this episode you're about to hear, it's such a picture of the inside of my mind. These conversations are such a mirror to whatever I happen to be going through at the moment. And I was thinking about it before I started recording that you guys, this podcast has been with me through so many things. You know, I started it in 2013, I was 22 years old. I was living alone in Michigan. And it was an opportunity for me to get an hour of time from people I admired and ask them whatever I wanted to know. And that's what I did today with today's guest, Mari Andrew. You'll hear us talk about the serendipitous way we met on such a tender day for me. But like I said, this conversation is a mirror to where I've been lately and I've been sharing about 
it feels like emoting about all over New York City and the internet <laughs> for the past couple months. But yeah, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I had a breakup. <laughs> and if you've been listening for even longer, you were there when I started that relationship. And I was thinking about, I'm, and hi, I'm crying. <laughs> I am so moved that this podcast has, I've tried to record this like 10 times and haven't got gotten through it without crying. So we're just going with it at this point. But this podcast has been with me when I decided to move to New York, when I started that relationship, when now that I ended that relationship, I talked about losing a grandparent who was a guest on the podcast. I talked about so much change and growth that's happened in my life. And I've done it in real time here and I've created community and I have talked to people on the street in New York City that have told me that they relate to something that I've said or a kernel of wisdom that a guest has given them. And I'm so proud of that. I'm so proud that me vulnerably sharing where I'm at and asking questions and my curiosity has been able to connect us and make the world feel smaller and make us feel less alone. I was just in Paris a week ago right now with someone who listens to the podcast. I got to hang out with locals and be moved around Paris and literally moved because of this podcast. And it's given me so much. So, okay. I cried in the intro. We can check that off the list, but I'm going to get it together and be a professional for the rest of this. My point is thank you for, for listening. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Mari Andrew. She's a writer and an illustrator and one of the most vulnerable, talented, kind, genuine people I've ever met. We talk about moving beyond inner child work to talking about healing your inner teenager, which I thought was so interesting. We talk about rejection and her philosophy that rejection is protection, which I really, really resonate with. We talk about creative routines, her creative routines and rituals and just life routines, her process. We talk about money in New York City and serendipities in New York City, feeling vulnerable during raw, hard times. We talk about transition, growth. She talks about gratitude in this way that I thought was really helpful and useful. That's near the end. And then, of course, we talk about body image and she gave some really sound advice there that I thought was helpful. And also dating in New York City. We touch on that a little bit. She didn't have a ton of time. She had to get to an acupuncture appointment. So we could have talked for hours and I hope she'll come back on the podcast eventually. And I, I think that she will. I hope you like this episode. I'm going to get to it as quickly as possible. But like I said, which I, this was not meant to be an ad for this, but podcasting has been the best thing that I've ever done in my life for sure. I'm so happy that this podcast exists. I wouldn't have had my book. I wouldn't have hung out with locals in Paris last week. I wouldn't have met Mari, maybe. Maybe I would have. She lives in my neighborhood, but 
I don't know. I'm just really happy that I did this. Enjoy this episode with Mari. I am going to be there at the end of the episode to tell you my likes and learns, something I've been liking, something I've been learning. And I'll tell you, of course, the emoji for this week's episode, which you can tweet at Mari and I to let us know that you, and Instagram to let us know you're still listening to the end. And I'll let you know who's coming up on the show next week and what we're talking about. Talk to you guys at the end. Enjoy Mari. I'm so honored to have you on the podcast because I have admired you for for so long. And then we met in such a serendipitous way. Yeah, totally. Which was so cool because I think I'd, I think I'd emailed you to come on the podcast like five years ago or something. Yeah. Like when you, I was still in Michigan and you had maybe like just, I your Instagram had just started and Simi told me about you. And I, I loved your work. And so during this richness of heartbreak that I've been feeling, I was like having the most raw day with it that day that I ran into you at yoga, which was so funny because I, I come like running in late to meet my best friend, Sasha, at this yoga studio. And I hear the person say your name. And I was like, oh, that's funny. Someone has the same name as the, because I associate <laughs> you with like, feeling my feelings around this tenderness and this heartbreak. And so I would, had been thinking about you all day. And I had been like, I had just looked at one of your pieces of art. And so then when I heard that name, I was like, there's no way it's her. But I know you live in the East Village. I was like, it could be. And then it was you and I had to say hi before. And I've like never said hi to anyone that I like don't know. But I just, and you were so kind and sweet to me. And it was just, it was such a serendipitous, magical way to to meet you. and It so. was so magical. And you were like a, my own personal sunbeam. So oh. of course, I, you, I think you brought out whatever sweetness I was feeling that day. Oh, <laughs> it was so, so lovely to meet you. You have such good energy. That's so nice. That's so nice because <laughs> so I felt lovely. like I was like Eeyore that day, especially <laughs> with like a no. cloud over my head. And, and yeah, it was, it was just, wonderful. And I know you were kind of like having a tender moment that day too. And so we just kind of like clung to each other. And then we ran into each other at the post office yeah. like two days later. Like, yeah, it was-, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It makes me think I probably ran in too many times without I'm sure. even knowing it, I'm which sure. I love. And I hope it continues Absolutely. on purpose. <laughs> I think it will. Um, okay. So where are you now? You have just been traveling. What have you been thinking about contemplating? What's been on your mind in the last day or week? Goodness. I am in between seasons right now, seasons of life. I am going fully right now into writing my second book, which has been quite a process. I mean, I think before I wrote a book, I thought you just kind of get an idea and then you write it. <laughs> but it's not quite that simple. And there's a lot of hands on it. Um, I actually started thinking about this book back when mine first came out last uh, March 2018. And I thought I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I gave the idea to my agent and she said, you can't really do that yet. It's a little too off your usual, <laughs> um, your usual fare. Um, so let's like maybe try to work it into something that's like 
a little bit, a tad, a touch more, you know, marketable. So we've been working on that. And now I'm in a place where I'm actually really excited about it, um, which is great. But I sort of took off January to deal with some health stuff. And then I went to France to kind of clear my head and start really thinking about the book. So now I'm, I'm like in the like spring, I'm like in the early, the spring of this next kind of year of my life. Oh, that's so exciting. Well, I'm not going to ask you too much about that project and that book because I'm (laughs) thinking you'll come back on the podcast (laughs) to talk about it in a year. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Is it a book of essays? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But there'll be illustrations too, or? I think I have to put a few in there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Well, you have such a talent and you have so so many talents and you're such a light, but I think the one that I want to talk about right now is this talent specifically you have for the richness of feeling sadness and feeling uncomfortable, feelings like breakups and loss. And then that's to me been a through line through your work. And you talk about lots of light things too, but you do this in a way that makes people feel less alone. And I'm sure you've heard that a million times, but have you always been able to see the richness in those really hard things? I think so. I think I have. I think that since I was really young, I have felt very alive when I was sad um, I felt like really deeply connected whenever I was hurt or lonely. I don't know how, how to um, credit that. I don't know. I mean, I'm an Enneagram four. That's a pretty common um, trait of the four is sort of feeling a bit at home in sadness. Like it's almost... Um, it's a place where I kind of just live very comfortably. And I didn't realize that not everyone felt that way, actually, until I started my account. <laughs> I thought that everyone sort of felt that way. I thought we were all like a little melancholy all the time and that we liked it. You know, like I grew up in Seattle. It was rainy all the time. I loved the rain. It really confused me when people didn't. So I think I've kind of always had that. But then as I started expressing it, I realized, oh, not everyone feels this way. And even though a lot of people, when they don't understand it or they don't resonate with it, are a bit rude about that, there are a lot of people who actually do feel really nourished by that. And so I I see it now as kind of like a superpower for the career that I'm in. Yeah, maybe too. You're all, I'm an only child. You're also an only child. Is that a defining characteristic to you? I think so. I think so. I mean, I I attribute so much to being an only child. And sometimes, what thing? Sometimes when I tell other only children, they're like, I don't feel that. Tell me all Um, the things. I love All the things. I do think a a sort of sense of, melancholy and loneliness. I always really, I was just thinking that I always loved movies and books growing up about orphans. Like I really resonated with them. Uh Like Anne of Green Gables, The Secret Garden, A Little Princess. Um, There's like so many books about young orphan girls. (laughs) And I, I really resonated with the sort of loneliness that they felt and how they're so in their heads. Like Mm. all of these girls, Matilda, 
very imaginative in their totally in their own little worlds. And I think even though I didn't always know I wanted to be a writer, I always knew my mind to be a very kind of rich, active place, a very colorful place where I could kind of retreat to. And I think that's pretty characteristic of being an only child. I think also something which I'm not sure if everyone is lucky enough to share. I think the perspective I had at a young age was really a gift. So like, I always knew the world was much bigger than middle school. (laughs) Because you're around adults so much? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I knew that like, oh, the things that I'm thinking about now, I'm not going to think about forever. So I always kind of had that, which I think was a gift that certainly not everyone has. And I don't know if every only child has. I always joke that I was like raised on an adult farm because my mom is one of six and they all sort of raised me and my parents were divorced. So, but it made me feel isolated from other kids because I felt like I didn't have the practice of hanging out with other kids. (laughs) And, and I like, knew more, not knew more, like I was smarter, but I just like, I remember being in the car Mm -hmm. once with a bunch of other kids, like carpooling and saying something about, I was like, oh yeah, do you use product in your hair? And I was like eight or seven, which is like such an adult thing. And the the girl I was with was like, mom, what's product? And I was just like, so embarrassed that I knew, I didn't think it was cool. I was just like, I just want to be a kid who doesn't know what product is and like play soccer. And like, (laughs) instead I was just, it, it made me feel Another thing, there were a million things, but it made me feel other and separate, you know? My only, did you know a lot of other only children? I knew one and we were both like so weird together and we were watching movies like Pulp Fiction, you know, when we were like nine and we loved it. And it wasn't, like you said, it's not like a precocious thing. It's not like, oh, I was like this little, like smart, cool, you know, little like- yeah girl that you could just kind of put on a shelf and like perform and say big words. It wasn't like that. It was like, I was a weirdo and I, I didn't, I like you felt embarrassed about it. I felt like I don't understand what kids are saying, but I'm not like going to hang out with adults as friends. So I don't really have anyone. And the things that I know, like the jokes I would make, and the kinds of things I was aware of. Wouldn't quite be, land. <laughs> yeah. And they seem to kind of Adults seem to think that that wasn't, they didn't really get it. They yeah. they sort of, like, I remember one time making a joke, I think I was in fourth grade, and I made this joke about, like, stress, like, my mom being really stressed out. And this was in Sunday school, and my Sunday school teacher was just kind of like, what, what, where are you what is your life like? And I felt so embarrassed that I knew about stress and yeah. I knew like, you know, I, ha- I already was aware of that and it just like kids didn't get it. And totally. adults thought that it was like, that they were uncomfortable. I know. <laughs> I relate to that so much too. Cause I was, I didn't know any other only children or other people with divorced parents. So I was constantly <laughs> like, what, what is happening? It's a, it's yeah. an, it's an isolating thing. And yeah. I think, I think shapes because people talk about birth order a lot or, uh-huh. or, you know, and, and also just the fact that like we won't experience, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, we won't experience our parents or our family through the lens of anyone else. Like you can't talk about right. them with anyone right. else. Like it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to, to now be adults without siblings. Totally. And makes us maybe relate totally. to friends and other relationships differently. I think so. I always, that's what I always say is that I think I am a bit closer to friends 
because of it. I think people with siblings are a little defensive about that, but I, I have found that I, I have like a familial relationship with a lot of my friends, I think. Yeah. I, I think that too. I want to talk about love and romance <laughs> Great. <laughs> and get right into it uh-huh, Sure, because we don't have that much time and I have copious notes on things <laughs> I want to ask you, but we live in the same neighborhood. So maybe, maybe we can do this again if we don't get too involved because <laughs> I'm starting to feel my like, oh my gosh, we have to get to everything. <laughs> but you've obviously experienced heartbreak and made such beautiful art about it. Can you talk about what those experiences taught you and being in in that tender time, like what was some advice maybe you got? You've already given me such beautiful oh. advice just through email, <laughs> but what what was helpful to you? You know, when I think about those times, it's so it strange and probably sounds disrespectful to people going through them, but I kind of miss it because I was so squishy. <laughs> My heart was so squishy during that time. Like, I remember there was a couple much more difficult heartbreaks than others. And I remember during those, just like walking down the street, feeling so incredibly in touch with everyone's pain. Like I was so hyper-intuitive. Like you're raw. I felt raw. I felt like an open wound walking down the street, but it just made me like so in touch with other people and so connected. Like I said earlier, when I was little, you know, and I felt most connected to the world when I was sad, like I did feel alone a lot and actually feeling sad made me feel more connected to people because it was never like beyond me that other people felt that. I think, you know, like I, I've never felt particularly too alone in the world during those times. Cause I, I know, I know that everyone goes through it, but during those like really potent heartbreaks, when you just like, you're, you're really in survival mode and it's every little thing you do is so takes so much energy. But then again, on the flip side, you're so easily fed. Like if someone like buys you a coffee it's like the most generous thing that anyone's ever done. Like you're just so hypersensitive. And I think during those times, it's been so fertile for creativity, so fertile for empathy and learning about myself. And I think the real gift of having something taken away from you is that you have to fill that space. And most likely you're going to do it through positive things. I mean, once you've had your like, you know, two bottles of wine in the bathtub night, you will start to fill that space. And I found that after every heartbreak, I've always learned something new, become someone new, did something exciting for myself to the point where I'm kind of worried that if I never have a heartbreak again, like when am I ever going to learn Portuguese? Because that's the time when I'm just like, so good to myself. And that's really the only way to get through. You're meeting me in the time where I'm, I am like in that, where it's like, just put one foot in front of the other. I'm sort of coming out of it, but I I've been, this is really my first heartbreak. And so I feel like I've had tough things before that. Like I've been nostalgic for not, not this not this exactly, but I know what you mean. But I also, I know what you mean about so many people have said that to me of like, this is the time where you'll, you'll learn something new or you'll people look back on these. And, but it is, I'm still in the moment of feeling like 
I'm the only one that feels like this. And how, like, I had a friend who recently had a baby and she was like telling me the whole story shebang. And she was like, I just can't believe that people do this every day. Like it is, it is no joke. And that's kind of how I feel about this. Like I, mm-hmm. this is, we make movies about this. Like I, but I, I can't, but I also see like, as I'm moving away from it, I, I don't want to let it go because it's, mm-hmm. I'm so present and I'm so in my body and I want to carry that with me. You know? Totally. There's this great This American Life episode about breakups. Yeah. And on it, this line that always sticks out to me. I've listened to this a million times for every million breakups I've I been need through. To re-listen. It's so great. Um, and one line I love is um breakups feel it's like the most universal thing. Like everyone's broken up before, but it feels so specific. Yes. And I always say when I go through a breakup, it feels like it's not only the first time it's happened to me, but it feels like it's the first time it's happened to anyone. And I've been through, like, I'm average twice a year at this point. And and I've been through some, like, horrific ones that I know are going to be, you know, the worst that I've ever experienced, I hope. And even so, even, even after, like, a couple months of dating, if we go our separate ways, it feels, it's, like, unbelievably painful. And you'd think like, I've been through it. I know that I'll get through it. I know I have, you know, the wisdom to get through it, but it feels like the first time it's ever happened because it is. I mean, it's a relationship between two people that's never going to happen again. So yeah, it's really sad. When did you, and when you're going through something like that, like a breakup, we'll speak to that. When do you know that you're going to make art from it? Do you start making art from it immediately or how do you how do you start to shift out of feeling and into creating or action? There's no like formula. I yeah. my creative process is just getting an idea and then drawing it. So that could happen lately I've been writing about a breakup that happened 10 years ago. Sometimes I'll write about it the day it happens. A lot of it has to do with kind of just where I am in my perspective at the time, but it's always, I try to do it from a place of perspective. I used to, I have a personal (laughs) Instagram account and uh, sometimes I'll post, (laughs) sometimes I'll post like ones that I'm not ready to share publicly because they're like a little mean, but then, (laughs) but then after like two years, who cares? Yeah. (laughs) The guy, he's, he's long gone. Yeah. (laughs) Your work, like the quote you said about breakups is so personal yet so specific and relatable. And I heard you talk about the Sufjan, Carrie and Lowell album and how that was so cathartic to you. And I feel like that's what your work, it's going to, I'm going to cry right now. Um, you're seeing you that day and your work has been that for me. And, and those moments that you said of things being the biggest deal in the world, like when you're feeling this raw and you're feeling this open, it can kind of work in both ways. You'll have moments like when I ran into you at that yoga class and seeing your, your posts that just, you know, go right in. And also like someone not texting me back, like a friend who's just like busy for a second. Yeah. Like yeah. I will spiral and be like, well, now I have a friend breakup too. And now I'm alone. I have forever. no friends. Yeah. And yeah. like this person's mad at me <laughs> right. and this opportunity, they didn't email me back. And like, so it kind of goes in both ways. And so having totally. that art that's so specific yet 
so relatable. Can you can you talk about that? And just I, I guess it's not a, this is not a specific question, but when you get a thought or a spark or a creative idea, how do you catch it and then make something concrete? Are you writing things in your? I guess we're talking about your process, but do you write notes in your phone? Do you? What is your thought with like catching an idea or a pain and then making art from it? Yeah, I love that word catching. I think that it was Mary Oliver, I think, who said that she catches yeah, ideas. Yeah, yeah. And like I, I heard Elizabeth Gilbert like exactly. talk about her. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, she's like out in the garden and she'll yeah. get a thought and she has to run home and write it down before yeah. it leaves to find and sometimes else. it's backwards. Or, yeah, uh, yeah, I love that so much. I mean, she didn't have probably make use of her notes app the way that I do. Um, but I really do like pull out my phone and I don't actually use my phone very much. I, I don't like to be on it. Mm. <laughs> um, but that is the one thing that has been a gift to me is the notes app. I always write, you know, fragments of thought, fragments of pain. Um, it might just be like, you know, an idea. I'm trying to think of an example. Like today I was thinking about tree, tree rings, the concept of tree rings and how like you can, like a tree holds all of its ages. I think that's so cool. I've always thought that. It's the coolest. (laughs) And it shows like whether they've experienced. That's amazing. And I thought about that. Like it just came to my mind and I thought that's really cool, but I don't yet have like Kind of like wrinkles maybe or like aging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's gotta, and I know that in a couple days, something I'll have another thought and then I'll connect them. And that's, that's when I can make it. Cool. I hope know? it's out on your Instagram by the time this comes out. And I can <laughs> that link would to be it. perfect. That would be cool. Be, uh, let it out exclusively <laughs> behind, behind the scenes. I want to talk about your creative process a bit, but let's first go back and, and talk about you. You mentioned you grew up in Seattle, you moved to DC Can you talk about how you, I'm sure you've had to tell this part of the story a million times, but talk about when you were 28 and what happened and what led you to start what you're doing now, essentially. Yeah. You know, I have told this a lot of times, but I think about it differently every time. And the way that I'm thinking about it now is the decades, but like maybe centuries, I don't know, of prep before I was ready to share my message with the world. I mean, certainly, I think one thing that's kind of interesting about that post is I think 28 is so objectively young. Mm -hmm. But when I was 28, I felt like I was 100,000 years old. Um, When I was 19, I felt like I was 100,000 years old. When I was 16, I thought I was too old to start Irish step dancing. And I remember like starting it and I was the oldest person in my class. I was with middle schoolers. I was like, I'm the old grandma. As 16. And so that was another thing that I kind of knew intuitively. I sort of knew that like any age you're going to feel too old to do something. And so you might as well just do it if you want to. (laughs) And I think in my early 20s, that, that message and that intuition got a little bit muddled from society because our sort of mainstream privileged American culture would tell you to have your passion figured out at a very young age and then get internships and network and all of this stuff that I just like missed school that day and forgot to do. Not to mention I'd lived in a ton of different cities, ton of different jobs. And I had this like patchwork quilt that really made no sense. So when my dad died, 
the gift of that is that I realized I was going to die someday. And I also didn't want to talk to anyone for a long time. And so the sort of combination of staying at home a lot and also knowing that I was going to die someday made me really productive. (laughs) And I realized like, I want to write a book. I want to learn how to salsa. I want to learn how to play guitar. I want to surf. Why haven't I surfed yet? And suddenly my age was so irrelevant to anything. And I thought I could die tomorrow and then 28 will have been the oldest I've ever been. Or I could live till I'm 170 and 28 will be very young. It doesn't really matter. I just want to do the things that I want to do. I knew for sure I wanted to write a book. And so the illustrations I thought could kind of help with that. Like I thought if I start drawing more and more, maybe I can sort of incorporate those in the book. But first I have to kind of teach myself how to draw. So that's kind of what I was doing on Instagram and then as I grew in followers, I realized- You committed to doing just one a day. Exactly. Which I think is really potent, just that of yes. like committing to doing, I want to do that with something. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but 30 minutes a day of one thing. Because there's, yeah. I always feel like, you know, that movie before Sunrise where yeah, she's like, I, favorite. same, <laughs> where she's like, I want to do so much. I end up doing that, not much. You know, and so I think that like that focus is something I really admire and want. I personally want to take away from this. It's the best advice I could give anyone. I just got a message from someone who's 20 and she said, I like film and I like reading and I like writing and I like teaching. And she said, what would you do? And I would tell her, do one, do little things, just kind of follow and see what takes, you know? And I started along with drawing, I started so many other hobbies and I still enjoy some of them, but they didn't like catch on. Mm -hmm. And when drawing sort of caught on and it really was this consistency and that's from a like sort of career standpoint, I have a marketing background to thank for that because I knew consistency is what grows Mm -hmm. an audience. And if you post like once a day at the same time, you're inevitably, even if it's really bad, people are going to follow because people love like routine and consistency in what they see. Um, So I knew that. And I wasn't trying to grow a following right away. That came a bit later when I decided I wanted to write a book. And I thought, oh, maybe I can use this as like my platform when I email agents and say, hey, I've got this following. But for a while, it really was like uh, caring for myself hobby. And it was such a release to just do that once a day project. It made me feel really productive. You know, it's like like I've done this one thing. Yeah. Cause I think it's so easy when we have that creative personality to feel like a master of none and you've been able to master something in your own way. What are your tips for staying productive? What are your creative habits? I I usually ask at the end about morning and evening routines. So like the first three things you do when you wake up in the morning, the last three things you do before you go to bed, like what is, what are your habits and routines? I love that. They change a lot. I always fancied myself like someone who loves routine and I never really resonated with like, no two days are the same. But then I realized, oh, no two days are the same. And I've got to kind of work with that. But right now, what I have going on is I always start the day with a gratitude list. 
because I can get really frustrated when I start reading emails. I can start getting in some kind of complainy places. And I find that it's just so helpful to start the day with gratitude. And it's not what I found helpful because gratitude is so like nebulous. And I think sometimes I I feel like I have to write really lofty, like my health, that kind of thing. But instead I found that it's more helpful to just write things that made me smile the day before, things that are making me smile, even looking around my room. Those like like, tiny raw moments you're talking about that you notice when you're Totally, totally. And that puts me in a good mood at least. And then I do half an hour of Portuguese study, which I recommend this to any creative person. If you have like one thing that you're sort of pursuing, do other things on the side because it really fuels your creativity. It doesn't distract. It actually enhances. And you just need other ways to express yourself, especially if you do it for a job. Yeah. So do that. I love my one little like proper self-care thing is to wash my face while listening to most likely one of my friend's audio messages. We send each other like voice notes. I did that all the time with my boyfriend. Oh no, is that a trigger? (laughs) I hope that you can like expand that to your friends because maybe that's the way. Totally. But I I know. I'll be sending you voice messages after that. (laughs) Totally, totally. Yes, use me. Use me for sure. Um, And I love just waking up listening to one of my friend's voices. It's It's like a private podcast just for you. Totally. It's amazing. So those are my morning things. What time do you wake up? 7.30. Do you use an alarm? I do use an alarm. Not your phone? Not my phone. But, you know, I was just talking to my friend today who left me these great audio messages in the morning. When I was a baby, my mom said that I would wake up and I'd look around my room and I would just start smiling, looking at all my stuff and my stuffed animals. And I would just like laugh because I loved them. And I live in a studio apartment, so I can do that now. I can look at all of my possessions and smile. And I find that because I don't think I have an unhealthy relationship with my phone, I find that I can look at it first thing in the morning. I can't look at Instagram comments, but I can look at like WhatsApp and see if like my friend from London left me a voice note. So I do use an alarm clock, but then I look at my phone and just see like, what friends, what friends am I going to tend to this morning? And that's really nice. It's a place of connection. Exactly. Exactly. You were starting to talk about the evening. So what do you, so then you kind of work during the day. Are you yeah. mostly staying home to work? Is that I your, am, okay. which has been really good because I love my home. I used to have yeah, to Yeah, it looks like, beautiful. It was. Not to brag, <laughs> but I'm one of the followers on the personal page and I got a tour and it was lovely. <laughs> I've just made it really comfortable for myself. And so I've tried having an office. I've tried like working. Sometimes I'll work from cafes and Mm -hmm. I enjoy that, but I just love being home. I absolutely love it. And I get creative bursts at like really random times. So I always want to be with my stuff, you know, like I want to have my materials available to me. It's not like you just have your computer to work. Exactly. Exactly. So evening is all over the place. I feel like I'm usually out with a friend. Sometimes I stay in, which I love. I, love I do that too. I think like living in New York and working from home, it's like our evenings the are, and maybe being a time. single person yeah. is like, that's when I go out. I'd rather do a dinner than like a lunch totally. because I can kind of be productive. I don't totally. really have a like set lunch time. Right. You don't interrupt the yeah. 
flow. Yeah, yeah, totally. So you'll go out maybe or stay in. And then what are the last three things you do before bed? Anything? To oh, like gosh, wind nothing down? too exciting. I should. I actually would love to have like an evening routine, but I feel like it's just always too different. I do like to read before bed, drink a glass of red wine, Lovely. brush my teeth, use my water pick. Lovely. Yeah, that's about dental it. hygiene. <laughs> Variant my dental hygiene. Right. You mentioned your your phone and mm-hmm. your good boundaries with your phone. Have you always been that way? Do you have any advice for social media specifically, like not letting it, you know, stress you out? <laughs> yeah, I'm talking a big game here. I mean, there's certainly days when I'm like looking at my at like Facebook on my phone and then I'll go to Facebook on my laptop. Like what? (laughs) Like I definitely, of course I have those moments. I do have to really train myself, especially when I take long walks, which are very fueling for my creativity to not look at my phone just out of habit. But I do spend very little time on Instagram, which has been good for me. It means that I miss a lot. Like I don't respond to my messages as I would like to. I don't really engage with people as much as I'd like, but I also know it's just not a healthy place for me to be. And the times when I have really let myself go there, it's really paralyzed my creativity. Mm. And it's like one person will throw me totally out of whack. And it's not fair that like one person should distract me from like so many other people I could be like serving essentially. So I just try not to be there. I log out immediately. I don't find it particularly an inspirational place. I think I'm probably like a lot of people, like I can really empathize when people tell me like that my page is sort of a nice um, break. It is for me, yeah. (laughs) Because I can, I mean, I I certainly, I can so easily like compare myself and all of that, anything that anyone else does. So I find it best just to kind of stay away. I know. It's funny because I feel like it's changed so much throughout the years. Like it used yeah. to be this really like, it's gone through so many different phases for yeah. me in just the last, what, six, seven years that it's even existed or existed in my world of like a way to connect with friends. And then it was like a scrapbook of my day. But now with stories like that's kind of that. And Instagram, mm-hmm. the feed is like, there's so much pressure to like, that's going to be there forever. And when someone mm. finds me and the way it all looks in the cut, like I just am like overthinking it to the point where it's like, just, I didn't used to do that. Yeah. And I don't like seeing, Ugh. and it just has changed when it's become, when it's related to your work and just being a person, it's, it's so much. And, and it's, I think it's a good conversation to, to have with I completely creative agree. people. I completely yeah. agree. I don't really have many tips. I think something that has been really helpful for me um, as someone who's the kind of work lives on Instagram, a lot of it is to just diversify where my work lives, Mm. you know, and people have told me this a lot. I mean, I'm very fortunate to have a book out and I'm fortunate that speaking is now a part of my job. I think so many people think rightly think that my work kind of only exists on Instagram and I'd love to just bring it other places. And so as much as I can do that, that's a big goal for my year. And I think anyone, even if you have 15 followers and you're, you know, a poet or whatever, just to make sure that maybe you do like a 
newsletter or maybe, you know, you try to publish to like yeah. online, you know, whatever. But just because it could go away tomorrow. It could go away you know? tomorrow. That's and like, what I always what was say. was it last week where everyone lost like exactly. a million followers <laughs> exactly. and they got in that? Like, so <laughs> totally. I do want to talk about New York City. Great. You always wanted to live here. Yes. Like me. And you do. What? When did that start? And what are what's your like favorite and least favorite parts of living here? Oh yeah. When I was about fourteen, I visited for the first time. I felt like I had a crush on the city. Like I read everything about it. I was obsessed. And my mom surprised me with a trip to visit. And as soon as I got here, I just thought, "Oh, I'm home," in a way that I never felt about Seattle. I never really knew what it was like to feel at home. And I felt very at home here, which I think is probably pretty typical for a lot of misfits. <laughs> also a lot of misfits who grew up watching a lot of Seinfeld. <laughs> so I just kind of everything was pushing me here. Um, I went to school in Chicago, moved to South America for a while, moved to Baltimore, DC, Spain. And then I finally decided I was ready to be here. And I wanted to be here when my career was in a good place. Never idolized like being broke here. Yeah. I wanted like, you know, the Seinfeld version of New York. I didn't want the girls. Like yeah. I didn't want to live in a garbage can. I just, I wanted to have like, yeah. I didn't want to be comparing myself to people. I didn't want to be, I am always stressed about money, but I didn't want to be so stressed about money that I couldn't enjoy myself. So I was finally in a good place. And as I think the city has been for a lot of people, it sort of brought together some magical parts of my life to give me a relatively smooth transition. So like a friend of mine was moving out of his apartment. It's been my dream apartment. And that's and it, where you are now. And that's where I am now. And it, it worked out really beautifully after months of subletting. And I... I love just kind of the aesthetics of the city. Like, I love the way it looks. I feel very connected to, like, other times of history here. I feel very sort of connected to humanity. And it's just kind of a, it's a timeless place and it's a timeless experience. Least favorite, the fact that not everyone can have that experience is hard. And I think we're, you know, very aware of that. And... I don't know what to do about that personally. Yeah. You mean the cost of living here? Yeah, the yeah. cost. I mean, it's it's so exclusive. Right. I mean, it's it's a very hard place to live financially. And the things that I really enjoy do cost money. Yeah. And I write a lot about, you know, the magic I see here and the beauty of the residents and, you know, the beauty that it sort of brings out in people. But it doesn't really feel fair when a lot of people can't really experience that. So that's tough. And I, I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. I, I think about that a lot too. And, and it's a lot of serendipities to, to get to live here and not, mm -hmm. you have to really want it. You know, you mm -hmm. have to really want to live here and not yeah. everyone does because it's really fucking hard, you know, and it costs totally. a lot of money and, totally. and it, no matter what phase of your career or your life you're in, like yeah. it's, no matter how much money you have, you could use it in a different way in a different place and it could stretch it. It's not a good financial choice, which my mom reminds me <laughs> frequently. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, it's good to kind of remind yourself. Yeah. I always say like, I didn't move to New York to save money. Right. Like I, I had other values. I'll tell my 
you know, what I'm paying for rent to my friends in Chicago. And they're like, that's more than my mortgage. And it's like, but I don't want to live in Chicago. So that's great. (laughs) But that's not, that's kind of, it's just beside the point. But I do realize that me taking a financial risk is very different from someone else taking a financial risk. And I always... I think it is such a dream to live here. And I always tell people like, yeah, you have to really want it. Yeah. And I think that too. And like, and if you do, if it is something that you do want, you'll always wonder what it would have been like. So you should try it. Totally. But that doesn't mean that it's, that it's easy. Totally. Okay. We have, we have so much to ah! cover. I'm like becoming very mindful of the time. What, what were you like as a kid? What was your childhood like? What, what's your greatest lesson on family? Oh man. I feel like I'm still learning my greatest lesson on family. I had a life full of love and I think my parents thought I was really interesting. <laughs> I felt always like I I was very adored by them and then that drastically changed when I was in middle school and I began a very long process of becoming estranged from my dad. And so I'm still trying to figure out what that means, where to put all that emotion and feeling. A lot of it comes up during breakups. A lot of it comes up during any kind of rejection. And I mean, what I'm, what I'm working on right now mentally is that I, I'm sort of fine with the inner child stuff. Like my inner child is very happy, very free. Even though she felt like a total outcast, she had her parents, she was really like smiley and interested in everything. And then, but my inner teenager is like miserable. And so that's what I'm working on now and trying to tell her that I've got her. Wow. I relate to that a lot. How are you doing that? How are you reminding her? I'm trying to really get in touch with her. And by that, I mean, actually going to those memories are you in therapy? How I you, am, yes. Yeah. But I'm also more actively, I guess, I'm just thinking a lot about her. And I, I used to, it used to be so hard for me to even see pictures of myself as a teenager. It's really hard for me to watch movies about teenagers. Like, I just don't even want to think about it. And so I'm trying to get to know this person, this like teenage girl as sort of, you know, a flawed, but also special and valuable person. And just like, say like, I'm going to make your dreams come true. I relate to that so much. I would like to talk about this more over some wine another Great. time. <laughs> I'm going to put a pin in it, but I would like to go deeper on that. Great. You, you mentioned rejection and I mm. wrote down rejection is protection, which is mm-hmm. a line that you've said. Can yes. you talk about that? Yeah. Oh, rejection. I was just rejected romantically and I'm still like so mad about it. It never gets easier. <laughs> it never gets easier. The only wisdom I have to offer is a cliche that every, I think everyone knows, but it's like, but it takes a while to kind of feel it in your skin. And that's that it's for the best. It's just for the best. I mean, if someone rejects you, they weren't fully valuing you. And whether that's like in a work thing, and I've been rejected many, many times in my work or romantically or as a friend or whatever, if someone's not like pumped about you, they just don't deserve you. And that's so hard. I mean, I've, I've had so many work rejections that I just remember 
really it manifested so much as just anger. Like I would get a rejection letter in the mail and like rip it up and just like stomp on it. Like just get so mad and like, why am I trying? The world is against me. And then in a romantic rejection, that taps into something very, very deep in me, very deep self-worth issues. Um, again, starting from when I was in middle school. And I know by now that it's fine and it's for the best and that that person who rejected me is always opening a door for someone better to step in, but it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, It's funny though. I was recently romantically rejected and I was talking to my friend about it the other night and I said, it's like clearly because I'm not pretty enough. And she said, that's so interesting because what I projected from my own wound, her talking is that you were like too successful and she's like a star on Broadway. And she, she deeply fears that she drives men away with her success and she doesn't have an issue. She just doesn't have like body image issues. So that didn't even cross her mind. And so like whatever we're rejected from, we're like projecting our wound, but it's like, it's probably not even about that. You know, it's probably about like something else. (laughs) Exactly. Their wound. Totally. Yeah. I've been really in this because of what this relationship ending feels like for me, it's like the, you talked about this a bit before. It's another cliche that's like probably on a t-shirt or an Instagram (laughs) feed as we speak, which is probably like a roomy quote or something of what is meant for you will not pass you. And I wouldn't have been able to let go of this relationship, but it let go of me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now it's, it was so easy to, look to this relationship as where I was focusing. And now that that's gone, I'm forced to focus on myself and use it as a mirror and all the areas that I need to grow and change and not what wasn't working in the relationship, which is scary, but actually a gift, like you were saying, and it's protecting me from time, like time Mm -hmm. that I'm getting back of like, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to let go, but yeah, totally. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, that's happened to me many times where I can see I would have kept, yeah. I would have stayed in in something I, I shouldn't have, yeah. I shouldn't have been there. So, yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned in rejection, this comes up so much and in these tender moments, just in general, we always talk about body image on this podcast because of my story and all of my shit with that. <laughs> but I usually frame the question this way, you know, when you're having a bad body image day or bad mm-hmm. body image moment? Mm-hmm. How do you catch that so it doesn't spiral into a bad body mm-hmm. image week or mm-hmm. month? And even if it's not, you know, appearance related, it can be confidence related or work related. What do, what are your tools for pivoting? Oh, yes. <laughs> I affirm this question for not spiraling I haven't had a real spiral in a while. Thank God. I know very much what that's like, and it used to overwhelm me. And then I think actually when I got seriously sick last year and almost died, I think the the gift of that was that I kind of stopped. I was just like, oh, I don't have enough time to worry about that. Really, it was like that kind of easy and that difficult. You know, it was just like, Oh, I'm I'm not I'm not worried about that anymore. I probably wouldn't I think you're not supposed to like recommend this kind of healing, but I have 
men in my life who I know think I'm beautiful and their validation of me has been really, really helpful. And I think I wouldn't recommend that people seek external validation, but the way that I started feeling so bad about myself was external criticism. It was, I I was criticized. And so to be able to get that back from other people actually has been really helpful. And I have male friends who love me so unconditionally and think I'm beautiful and will be very happy to say that. And sometimes when I try to see myself through their eyes, which just means more to me than from a woman because it's just what I'm lacking. It's totally what I'm lacking. So they're able to feel that. That is actually helpful. And then I think Finding my personal style has been such a huge part of that as well. Great style. Like learning, thank you, (laughs) not like today, but learning how to do my hair, learning what clothes work on me, always having my nails done, you know, the things that make me feel put together. I get facials pretty often. Great Um, skin too. (laughs) Oh my gosh, thank you. I've been staring at yours. Um, (laughs) Yeah, just the things that I know make me feel better. And especially with body image. I mean, one thing that I always think is if I, I don't want to like give up on any pleasure or give myself pain (laughs) to be whatever, you know, I think that I should be. And, and I think that's been helpful too, just realizing how much joy I want in my life and what I'm willing to sacrifice. Yeah. Wow, that it's interesting that you said that about the validation from men because the podcast the, this week that the week we're recording this, I had this comedian on named Adam, and he was talking about how his big thing was feeling he was dreadfully ugly, and then when he, I was like, how did how did you get over mm-hmm. that? Please tell me how. And, yeah, and he was like, when I was in college, these girls thought I was not hideous, and mm-hmm. that just and then it was gone. And I had that, like, I was always the kid in middle school. That's why I really relate to that. Where like, no one had a crush on me. Mm -hmm. And like, I was Mm -hmm. just like, I'm hideous. I'm different. I'm other. And now my, like, I don't really have any male friends. Like Mm -hmm. all of my friends are female. I don't even like, I don't even talk to the, you know, all the male, like, I don't really have any males in my life. I don't work from an office. And Mm so, and then just like starting to date again, it, there there's so much there about that, like feeling pretty enough or feeling, mm-hmm. you know, which relates to eating disorders and just not feeling okay with ourselves and confidence. And it's all, it's all, you know, our, our, I know intellectually that like, it's all our shit, but like yeah. putting one foot in front of the other, it's like these little kind of mental gymnastics you have to do to remind yourself because all day long really? from the media and advertising, you're hearing a message that is different from you. One thing that helps me, which I've said on this podcast many times, is like having positive examples and role models of people that I look to as beautiful that look all different ways. Like totally. you are one of them. And so many people who I admire, their life as a whole as really beautiful, not just mm-hmm. one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I just met this French man who made me feel very good after a, after this rejection that I faced in New York. And he said, you know what, when you fall in love with someone, what you're falling in love with is charm. Like beauty changes and goes away, but charm is forever. And he said, I'm, I love your <laughs> charm. And it really, it made me 
feels so good. And, and that kind of thing, I thought, yeah, when I think of the most beautiful people I know, it's their personality. It's, you know, their spark, their sparkle. And I know that that doesn't change with body or style or age or whatever. It doesn't change. It's always there. And, and that to me is, that's something that I remind myself of a lot. Yeah. I've never dated in New York. What do you, oh, gosh. <laughs> what, what do I need to know? <laughs> well, I, you know, I always say, I don't think it's harder in New York than anywhere else. I think dating's hard. Yeah. I, I haven't dated it's, much, period. <laughs> it's hard to be vulnerable when someone is actively judging you. That's hard. Dating's hard. It's hard when you don't know what someone's intentions are. It's hard when you don't even know what your intentions are. It's just a hard thing. I think it's a wonderful thing. All of my best memories have to do with dating. And I think there's just so much potential for magic and fun and getting to know the city in a new way. I think that's something that I would concentrate on if I were you would just like oh, he lives in Brooklyn. I'll get to know Brooklyn. You know, I always say in New York, I always say like, I'll come to you. Like I'll come to your neighborhood because I want to yeah, get to know that's it. That's what I do with the podcast has been good for me with that. Oh, I've, totally. You know, I take this little setup all over. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it can be really tough, but it can be, I think the good far outweighs the bad. And I've met spectacular people, a lot of whom are still my good friends and val- validate me physically. So <laughs> Great. It's an I guess adventure. I just have to rip off the band-aid. <laughs> I want to make sure I can ask you the quick fire questions, but first I know that you're a big journaler and yeah. I wrote a book about journaling. Have you always yeah. been someone who journals and writes? Do you still write? I know you are a writer, but mm-hmm. do you still write personally? Morning, what's your practice I with do. I journaling? wish I did it more. I remember in my 20s when I had like retail or food service jobs. I even knew then, I had the perspective then, that it wouldn't be that way forever. And so I would take afternoons, like long afternoons, and just write for like hours in my journal. Of course, this was before smartphones, and I feel like now my attention span is a little bit shortened. But I do try to write at least once a week in my journal, as I've been doing since I was like five. And it's it's essential for me. It's absolutely yeah. essential. Oh, good. Okay, the, some of these are shorter, some of these are longer. Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. I'll warm you up with some easy ones. <laughs> Best thing you've eaten in the last week? The pasta I made last night. It's great. <laughs> Favorite part of your life right now? Oh, too many to choose. I'll say my apartment. Favorite place you've ever traveled to and then travel rituals or travel routines? Favorite place is Rio de Janeiro and uh, routines get into one as soon as possible. So I love making like my coffee shop, my own going there like every day, um, getting to know the barista, getting to know the bartenders, um, having like that one consistent place when I'm traveling. So I feel like I'm at home right away. What about packing and like actually like plane travel, train travel, like Uh anything there that Um, you do? I always like come up with a look for where I'm traveling and I, (laughs) I pack accordingly. I am not, I hate, I absolutely hate plane travel, even though I'm always on a plane, but I do find that putting on a a face mask really helps. Not the kind that scares people, but like the kind that you rub in. That's really nice. Brushing my teeth like 20 times, always getting champagne on the plane. I I haven't done, I I think I told you I'm going to Paris, weirdly, like a very random, my best friend works in fashion and I'm like staying in her hotel room while she's working. So I'm kind of going by myself and with a friend. But I haven't been since I studied abroad in Spain, actually, in college. So I haven't had like a long 
flight. And so I, I was like, oh my God, why didn't I think to bring a toothbrush and, yeah. and champagne? This is yeah. very helpful. <laughs> okay. How do you handle stress, overwhelm? You do a lot of different things. You've known about stress since you were very young. Yes, yes, yes. I'm an expert. <laughs> um, you, you're in therapy. Do you meditate? What are, what are things you do to handle being a person? I have really good friends and I talk to them a lot. That's my number one. I get a lot of the cheap massages around the East Village. They have a lot for like $30. That's great. You've seen me do yoga. Exercise is a pretty I loved thing. that class, by the way. It felt like oh, a very magical class. Amazing. I love him. Have you been to his class? Yeah, I only it? go to his class. He's so cool. He is full of joy. Yeah. Yeah, he's phenomenal. We should phenomenal. go together and and then get a get a massage and just have like an East Village day. <laughs> a day. Go to the the post office. Yes, <laughs> I actually love it there. Too. I do too. <laughs> I do too. Yeah, I haven't found like the one trick. I can't meditate to save my life, but like talking to people. I'm a verbal processor, Same. even though I'm a total introvert. So audio messages have been great for me because I'm yeah. just like, listen to me yeah. talk. Do you know your human design? I know you're really into the Enneagram. No, I don't. Okay. Well, I've done two episodes. If you if you are curious oh my gosh, about it, I've I would done love two to. episodes. Not, we just did a live one about it, but I was gonna I, get it's mixed made up me feel something. more articulated than any other <gasps> oh, thing. And okay. from what you're talking about, one of the things is like, you figure out how you're feeling about something by just talking about it. You don't really necessarily need even advice, but just you will know by the tone of your voice. That's what I have. I'm a projector. Totally. Um, and I would guess maybe Oh, you're, I love that. Yeah, I'm oh, very I curious what, That's cool. what you are. Yeah, we can geek out about it on our, our next non-recorded date. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> what about boundaries? We talked about digital boundaries, but as an entrepreneur and with people, do you have any lessons on boundaries? Not really. I kind of struggle with what that really looks like because I think that I've, like a lot of people, accidentally associated it kind of negatively. And it helps me to think instead of like, what can I grow? So I always, when I do, when I set any kind of boundary, I make sure that it's because I want a positive in its place. So like when I tell someone that I can't meet up for coffee. I want it to be because I'm really working on something very nourishing or because I'm trying to like nourish a different relationship. And so I don't have time for mm. this person. Instead, I'm like really focusing on this other friendship. So that's the only way that I can like really yeah. do them without feeling bad because I'm so sensitive and take on everyone's problems. And so if I'm like these days, I've had to say no so much and it's so hard, but I have to say no, because I'm really focusing on this other yeah. thing. It's like rejection is protection. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Protecting yourself. Totally. Yeah. yeah. My therapist told me I need better boundaries with myself. I'm good <sighs> with other people and it's yeah. it can be muddy. Okay, this is say your greatest lesson on these these topics. So I'll take you through them. Greatest lesson on romantic relationships. Don't date anyone you wouldn't want to be. Mm. Oh, that's really good. Greatest lesson on creativity. Make it cheap for yourself. There's no need to spend more than $20 on any creative hobby. Mm, cool. <laughs> greatest lesson on friendship. Make intergenerational friends. Greatest lesson on spirituality. God, what do you think happens when we die? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, that's like a decade of my life we could talk about. 
imagine this is like my, my personal philosophy. Imagining God as a person makes it a lot easier. I imagine him as Denzel Washington. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Sometimes like Kathy Bates, mm. like a warm cool. woman. Yeah. Oh, I like Depending that on the need. Yeah. Cool. That's, I'm just taking that in. <laughs> Greatest lesson on entrepreneurship and productivity. Oh, man. Get an accountant. <laughs> Definitely. Especially this time of year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Any quote or mantra or mentor or something that you just had stuck with you? Mm. It's okay. It's hard to be put on the spot for these things. Oh, they're so great, though. They're so great. It's okay. We'll let that one simmer. Okay, I'll ask okay. You another, I'll come, I'll, <laughs> and then if it comes up. Okay, so this one I usually frame as you're trapped on a deserted island and uh-huh. you can only bring with you one of these things, but okay. really it's just a way to recommend things. Sure. <laughs> so TV show, book, uh-huh. film, music, and a food you'd never get sick of. Okay. TV show, Golden Girls, film, Before Sunset. Do you like all of them? I like all of them, but Sunset is the one I'm like really into right now. Is that the second one? That's the second one. Yeah. Yeah. Book? Yeah. Mm. While you think, I'll use this as an opportunity to tell you that everyone listening, that your book is so wonderful and meaningful and specific yet relatable and just wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, The Letters of Keats. Okay. Cool. Um, I don't know it. Great. My recommendation. Great. I will give it a <laughs> gave it a goog after this. And a food that's like your last meal or something you never get sick of. Joe's Pizza. It's in our neighborhood, right? Yes. I have I haven't had it. I haven't been. Okay. I have a million more things I want to ask you about, but I'm being mindful of the time. Is there anything that you wish the name of this podcast is let it out. So do you feel like you let it out? Did I squeeze you for all your juice? (laughs) Is there something that that. you never get to talk about that you wish that you got to talk about more, something that not a lot of people know about you that you can let out? You've asked me some great questions that I've never been asked. So I feel very squeezed and held and I so appreciate it. Okay, cool. I, I have a, this is maybe just to scratch my own itch and we can edit this out if you don't want people to follow you. But what are some of your favorite East Village places? Oh, I, um, I go to Black Seed Bagels pretty often. My favorite. So now I can fully stalk you. <laughs> yes. Um, I kind of like don't want to know because then I'm going to be like, now if I do run into you, you're going to think I'm like. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I like Tokyo 7 for vintage clothing. Three Jewels Yoga is fantastic. Where we ran into each other. Where we ran into Thank each you. Other. This podcast is this not sponsored, but open, open to it. <laughs> open to it. Third Rail Coffee is super friendly, and it's on the cutest street, Stuyvesant. I love Ninth Street or what, whatever. That is. Yeah. yeah. Have you been to the Japanese place upstairs? Yeah. Oh, I love it there. Great. It's so fun. Yeah. And um, what's it called? Angel Share is a great cocktail. Oh, yeah. 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 And The Immigrant is like my bar. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so many. We could probably talk about more places, which <laughs> we can we can do that later. We'll text. So we always end with something sort of weird, but I think you'll be into it. Uh-huh. I don't mean to scare you. <laughs> but we do, we let out a deep breath together. So Great. inhale. Let it out. <sighs> Thank you so much for doing this. Thank part. you, Katie. This is wonderful. 
Okay, that was my 2019 conversation with Mari Andrew. And now is a clip from her from early in the pandemic. I played this in our 300th episode where I asked previous guests to record Where Are They Now? And this is what she said early in the pandemic. Hi, this is Mari Andrew. And last time I talked to Katie, it was in February 2019. My first book, Am I There Yet?, had been out for a year. And I was sort of trying to figure out what I was doing. (laughs) I still am trying to figure that out. Um, It's sort of a weird thing to be (laughs) a writer who doesn't have really consistent work, i.e. I can't write a book all the time, you know. So in the past year, I've done a lot of speaking and I was going to do some more this year. And then our friend coronavirus took that away from me, our enemy, I should say. So I'm in a, again, <laughs> place where I'm like, what am I doing? But I finished my second book. Um, it's coming out next March, which feels really soon all of a sudden, March 2021. That totally felt like a hypothetical year. It's a book I'm really proud of. I think it's the one I've always wanted to write. So I'm really excited about that. And it's nice to have something to be excited about right now that isn't like something that could be canceled. Like, I don't think my book can be canceled. I think it still has to come out no matter what. My book tour might be canceled, but a book can't really be canceled. So it's nice to look forward to something. And also it's already done, which is also really nice. But that has put me in a kind of weird place during quarantine because it's like, I do feel better when I'm productive. I know that, you know, we shouldn't be hard on ourselves for not being productive, but I I just feel a lot better when I am. And there's just not a whole lot to do. (laughs) I think normally I'd be preparing for talks and workshops and I can't do that. So... I've been doing, as far as like work goes, I've been doing a little like housekeeping. Like I've always wanted to get a new site together and, you know, kind of think about what I really enjoy doing and stuff like that. So I'm doing a bit of that. But what I'm really doing is mm, making food. (laughs) I wouldn't call it cooking. I would call it making food. Seems like a difference. I am journaling a lot. I wasn't able to do that the first like month, month and a half, because I I was really numbing myself out. It was like too overwhelming to think about the pandemic and like every other news story going on. And so I couldn't really let myself go into sensitivity. Like I couldn't let myself be sensitive because if I let myself be sensitive, I would not stop crying. So just to be able to kind of get through a day, I think I had to kind of numb myself a lot, which means like I'm not creative. I'm not right. You know, if you're, if I'm not, you can't numb like one part of yourself and not numb everything else. You know, you can't be numb to like news stories and expect to be creative at the same time. It doesn't work like that. So I had a really, really hard time being creative and I I still do, but I think I've I've sort of lessened the numbness like now I let myself really feel it which 
often does mean that I'm less productive, but I, I think I can tap into creativity a lot more when I really let myself feel everything. So my morning routine has stayed pretty much the same. I still go on walks, still try to journal, get some gratitude in there. Been listening to a lot of music. I just discovered the Indigo Girls. Why didn't anyone tell me? I've been listening to Palisa, Grace Weber, lots of old stuff that I've always really loved. Danny Brown. Yeah, what a time. What a time. That's me letting out a sigh. Hope you're well. Okay, so since that update in 2020, a few updates from Mari is that the book she mentioned starting to write in this interview came out in March of this year, in March of 2021. It's called My Inner Sky, and she has many more ways to engage with her work on her website, which I've linked here. And one of my favorite things that she's made is this book of greeting cards that she gifted me back then in 2019. And I still have, and I've bought another one. They're great to have on hand and I give them out all the time and might make a really good gift. I think all of her stuff would. And as far as my updates since we recorded this, listening back, like I said, it was wild. At the time, I was fresh out of this breakup. (laughs) Clearly, I couldn't stop talking about it. And I couldn't imagine not being heartbroken. But the advice of Mari and so many other people during this time was true. It ended up being a really fertile period of my life for growing and at the end of that year I ended up making a zine called the soothe kit where I compiled everything that was helpful during that year of fumbling through heartbreak and eventually it became a two-part self-study workshop for people moving through breakups and heartbreak where I put everything that helped me learn and grow and soothe myself during that time and it didn't exist when this was recorded but it was inspired by this and other conversations that I had that year and it still exists so if you want to sign up for that workshop the soothe kit or the solve kit part one or part two or if you want to give it as a gift to someone the code Mari will make both of them 50% off I think it would make a really really great gift have a great week ahead instead of an emoji for this week's episode To let me know that you're listening all the way to the end, comment the name of the guest or episode that you would like to hear from the archive, and maybe I'll release that one soon too. I'll re-listen to it. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to get a somewhat weekly newsletter from me, let me know. Sign up with the link in the show notes for the Let It Out letter. The show notes will come right to you in an email as well. And if you want to support the show, please share this with a friend. It really, really does help. Please leave a review and try out any of the sponsors, any of the discount codes using them truly helps so, so, so much. All of those are on my website. If you have any questions about the codes, let me know. And check out the Soothe and Solve Kit if you feel like that could be useful. If you have any questions about it, let me know. Like I said, self-study breakups workshop. And if you want a discount on all the kits, we even have some holiday ones right now. The code Mari will work for those too. Any questions, email me, katie at letitoutwith3ts.com. I love you and I'll talk to you probably next week.